This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. So here we are. Uh, we're well into our spring season and spring bear around the corner. Lots of, yeah. So yeah, cool time of year, exciting time of year. That that time of year that says to me, you can get outside and do some cool stuff. Oh, especially up here, right? Yeah, I I hunt predators in the winter, but this it, it drags, right? It cold and snow, and it, it drags. I'll be quite happy to get out. Yeah, it's awesome. So this is a great podcast. We have Jen Shears on. Uh, Jen uh, has has she's lit the wild sheep hunting on fire. She so. Three years ago, she had not done much sheep hunting at all and then uh, literally knocked three sheep off in two years. So, um, what a fa- and her husband as well, he, he's been on a successful sheep hunt. They took their daughter, which we learn about on this podcast. And so, Jen's, you know, the thing that I take away from this is her enthusiasm. Like, she's just exciting and positive and just a great chat with Jen today. Yeah, absolutely. She's she's followed one campfire for well since the beginning and she's she's smidgen on instagram and uh got great messaging just an all-around fun person to talk to and finally get a chance to catch up and if, if you haven't seen her episode on canada hunts with the the sheep it's highly suggested it's really really yeah. good a great film a great messaging you know family sustainable use conservation um, she's got all the right messages. We talk a little bit about the seal hunt. We talk about polar bear hunting and, uh, she's just got some really good stuff there on her Insta. If you click on, on her stories there, there's one specifically about uh, the seal hunt, really good information. And, you know, it's always good for us as hunters to have, to be armed with those, uh, to be knowledgeable, right? So that when we talk to a non-hunter, they go, yeah, but why do you guys kill seals? Uh, and to be able to explain that away, it's, you know, it, it's pretty important, you know, to, to have that narrative and, and be able to sort of explain our side of things. Right. Oh, absolutely. I've seen her, uh, her messaging dealing with the, the, the haters on Instagram around that stuff. And she's just eloquently, eloquently spoken and talks about the sustainable use of it. And on this cast, she blows those, some, some of the myths that uh, you hear about and you see for the fundraising out of the water, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So uh, one thing I want to just share with our listeners is we currently have a, our wild sheep raffle our spring wild sheep raffle. It's a 2023 Yukon doll sheep hunt with Kusawa Lake Outfitters. Now, um, you're going to hear Jen talk on this podcast about her hunt with North Curl. And Mac Watson owns North Curl, and then he bought o- and took over Kusawa Lake Outfitters. So this hunt is going to be with with Mac Watson at a Kusawa Lake Outfitters. Great hunt. Um, we've got tickets for sale on our website right now. I'll include the link uh, as well in this one. And tickets are 100 bucks each. There's a 1 in 750 chance of going to hunt dull sheep with Kusawa Lake. Um, so this is a fantastic opportunity to go on a dull sheep hunt. It's in the Yukon, 12-day fully guided hunt in 2023 from August uh, 18th to 29th. Includes all costs during the hunt, charter flights, tag fees, and costs associated. And species includes one dull sheep, two wolves, and one wolverine. Like unbelievable, and a travel voucher is included to fully cover the cost of travel to Whitehorse, lodging before and after the hunt, and Yukon non-resident tank. Does it get any better than that? Yes, if I win it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so this is this stuff supports our conservation efforts. 
2021, we put $318,000 into conservation BC because of you buying tickets like these. So, you know, this is a great chance to support conservation and could you, that, that hunt is unbelievable. That is a hunt of a lifetime. Uh, doll sheep, uh, oh. Wolverine wolves. It, it's just a Mecca. Yeah. Unbelievable. When, I, when I first started hunting and looking at the, the bucket list species, number one was sheep, but it was a doll, right? I didn't know there was subspecies in there as well, like stones and bighorn and all that. The one that I saw was, was the white ghost, right? The, the doll and that yeah. I'm getting my tickets. Yeah, absolutely great. Hunt of a lifetime. That's what we like to call it, our wild sheep raffles. So pick that up. So anyway, this is episode, did you say this is 70? Seven zero? Yeah, seven zero. It's a good thing we didn't have Mr. Shockey on for this one. Wasn't it just yesterday we yeah. had 60 with Jim? Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So this is a great episode with uh, Jen Shears. Uh, just really enjoy this listen. Uh, talks about the, all the important stuff, family, hunting, and conservation. A great listen. Episode 70 with Jen Shears. Enjoy. If we told you tomorrow that elk, black bear, and bighorn sheep were next, would you speak up? Wildlife needs to be managed by science and not by emotion. And you don't have to be a hunter to take part in this movement. You just have to want sound management of our wildlife in BC. Go to wildsheepsociety.com slash act now to use your voice and demand that BC not use our wildlife as pawns in a game of social management. Act now. Or... The things that you love could be next. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. So can we call you Smidgen? Are we calling you Jen? What do we call you today? Well, whatever you call me, I've been called a lot worse, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, great having you on. Uh, so much to talk about and uh, just love who you are, what you stand for. I love uh, a family that sheep hunts together, stays together, right? Like such a cool story. And we talk about our sheep hunting family, meaning our brother, uh, our fellow brothers, sisters, sheep hunters. But with you, it's actually truly your family. You got your your husband out there. You got your daughter out there. So cool. So let, talk about that. That's just cool in itself. We could talk the whole podcast about that right there. Yeah. Uh, so back in uh, 2020, that was when COVID was happening and uh, of course, for us to sheep hunt, we live in Newfoundland, so we don't have sheep. We need to travel outside the province. And uh, Newfoundland was pretty locked down. We're an island, so the government really took control of people coming and going. So we had this uh, hunt booked. And in order to do it, I guess we would have had to isolate when we came back home. And Aspen was seven at the time. And we were like, if we could potentially be away for a month, because my sheep hunts don't often or at that point didn't go always really well and quickly. So I was like, we could be away for a month and then come home and have to isolate for a couple of weeks. That would, that would kill her because, you know, she was uneasy with everything as it was. So our options were to cancel or to take her. And we opted to, to take her. So off we went to the Yukon and uh, it was a backpack hunt. At that point, she at, she would like walk around a one kilometer loop of a pond and like starfish and cry. <laughs> she, was, she hated hiking and walking. So we knew it was like quite an undertaking, but we, we you know, agreed that we would take it on and, and do it. And so there we were, the plane leaves and you're just standing in the middle of the Yukon wilderness and and we set off and uh, just like I, in the show, we, we did an episode on Canada hunts of, of that, uh, that hunt 50 yards in, she had a total meltdown and we were like, Oh crap. Like what are we in for? 
but uh, she came around and, and we ended up being up in the mountains for two weeks. And uh, she was an absolute rock star. The, the guide and, and the camera person that was with us, like they couldn't believe it. They were like, it's an undertaking for an adult, let alone a seven-year-old girl. Well, it was interesting. I, you know, I, I, I watched that episode and I think it was six hours and 4K in and she was still going strong. Like she, and you guys plateaued out there on, on that ridge and, or that plateau. And she was smiles. Like it was, I'm sure it was elation getting there. And I know there were some tribulations along the way, but yeah, I was just, you know, I, I wouldn't have been smiling myself. No, well, I mean, I think she was asleep, to be honest. I think she was sleepwalking for the second half of that, but um, nonetheless, she she was smiling, yeah. And that that like four, what ended up being like five or six k, took us about nine hours, but most of it was bushwhacking. And thankfully, I mean, our heads were above the buckbrush, but she was face and eyes down into it. So it was it was like intense, yeah. Probably one of the hardest days of our lives, I would say, but it made us stronger for the rest of the trip. Yeah, I can uh, I can kind of empathize with that. I did my first fly in this past September in the buckbrush, and I I just I. My, my hunting partners will tell you the same thing. I'd laid down and screamed and did the starfish and tantrumed. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It, it really messes with your mind when you see that plane take off and know that you're not seeing it for a minimum of 10 days or whatever. It's, it's a tough thing to, to deal with, let alone as a kid. Yeah. And I mean, look, when we do those little hikes, she knows the car is only, you know, 500 yards away. So if she cries enough, then we can, we'll carry her out. But when she saw that plane leaving, she was like, yeah, this is the real deal. So once she got that first upset moment over with, she was like, yeah, th there's no way they can cave. Like it, <laughs> it's just not possible. They can't call the plane back. So I got to suck it up and, and we'll do it. So and it was pretty cool. Uh, that's cool, Jen. So I, I want to talk lots about that sheep hunt, but there's a little bit of stuff I'd like to dive into first with you. Um, you know, kind of where did your, I guess, passion for the outdoors, like you're now a, uh, well, you you were a seasoned sheep hunter before you even killed your first doll sheep. You'd already been on, I think, five hunts. You said, um, but five sheep hunts. But um, and a true testament to the sheep hunting community and and the people who we are. There are hardships we go through, and and that was a classic example of what you did there. But where did your passion for, I guess, outdoors, wildlife hunting, and then I guess eventually sheep hunting come from? Was it instilled? like you've done with Aspen at, at six years old, or was it something different? How did that yeah. work for you? Some of my earliest memories are of being in my parents' cabin in the mountains of Newfoundland. So little hills for you guys, but uh, here in Newfoundland are the mountains. Uh, some of my earliest memories were in there on the deck of their cabin, shooting a 22 at a rock out in the pond. I don't know if that was legal or illegal <laughs> back then, but it's what we did, you know, and it was the, yeah, everything we did was outdoors and, um, you know, going moose hunting and bear hunting and fishing and, and just being outside. And um, I also am Mi'kmaq, so the reverence for nature and living off the land and all that is deeply ingrained in my in my blood and in my spirit and my, uh, my community. So, um, yeah, I had it coming at me from all angles, really. My, my nan is 91 now, and she got her most recent moose last year. So I, I grew up with my mom hunting, my nan hunting, my aunt. So just surrounded by a bunch of strong women in the outdoors. And um, I, I really didn't know any other way. So I was, I was really fortunate. Um, and now with Aspen, uh, I, I really wanted to kind of start the same way with her. Because nowadays, 
you know, with social media and, and the influence of others uh, at, at a young age for people, you almost kind of got to get them before they have that influence so that you've got that base built in them. So uh, you're not trying to start start when they've already been influenced by other people that are telling them that they shouldn't be doing it or, or whatever. So uh, starting young was key for me. And I think it's even more so nowadays. And uh, so, yeah, like here in Newfoundland, we only have three big game species. We've got moose, caribou, black bear. So then once um, Carrie, my husband and I, uh, you know, started to have, have, have a bit more disposable income, we wanted to try hunting other things. And so then we began, I think our first guided hunt ever was in South Africa. <laughs> we, we just took the leap, man. We, uh, we went to SCI one year because we were like, well, that's a place that you could probably go get some good auctions. But it turns out that, you know, a lot of the hunters there had already done the, the Africa thing. And so they were going for the tags we were looking for, like the elk and the mountain goat and, and stuff. So, of course, they, they give free beer at those auctions. They lubricate the business. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we were seeing these, you know, $20,000, $30,000 value African hunts going for 3000 4000 that year. So, yeah, we ended up buying a an auction to South Africa. And when it was, it was like sold, we were like, Oh no, what is that? <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, a month later we were setting off. Aspen came with us too, to that. Um, her, uh, her grandfather, Carrie's dad came with us too, to kind of watch her. And we didn't know how, how it would, uh, how it would go with her. Cause it was probably, she was three. It was probably like her first real experience seeing anything bigger than like a rabbit and a slip. Um, or a snare, um, you know, be killed and, and processed and stuff. And, you know, when, when Carrie's dad got his zebra and after it was over, I said, so Aspen, like, how, how are you feeling? What, what do you think? And she looks at me and she said, what are we going to hunt next? Awesome. <laughs> wow. Awesome. That was, yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. Trying to, you know, prepare for all the possibilities, but mm. that was the, the best case scenario for me. Yeah. I, I've got a, nine-year-old now and she's been in the truck with me since she could pretty much eat formula and mm -hmm. i could take her and mom would be okay with it and uh, the first thing we actually got together was a big black wolf like she's she's come out with me trapping before help set snares she's got a couple of wolves to her name where she's said set here and this is how we do it but the first thing yeah the first thing she ever saw taken was a wolf when we were out on a bear hunt and I got some great pictures with her. She knows where her food comes from. And, oh, yeah, she's always saying, oh, when are we going to go hunting again? When are we going to go hunting again? We need to put stuff in the freezer. So I, I love that. It's it's so important to get the kids involved early. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's huge. And, and then so, yeah, bringing her along. And then um, eventually after that Africa trip, then we said, well, we'll go back to what we originally wanted was to do some more North American hunts. So I think our first guided hunt in uh in canada was it was in bc um at uh at foaling with blair and becca awesome. for elk that first year and carrie went for mountain nice. goat and and then uh and then the next year i did that as well i would say to carrie like we spending all this like ridiculous amount of money uh on, on hunts like we should just move to bc for three years or four years and kind of <laughs> do it that way but anyway here we are there's eight, 18 over-the-counter big game species here in bc you can hunt with just a regular license and no draw so fortunate yeah it's it's wonderful you guys are pretty pretty lucky there so jen i got a question for you then like so you've you've raised your your family this now 
is the culture in Newfoundland different than the rest of Canada? Like I live in Victoria and in rural Canada, like it's, it's different. I grew up on a farm and, and it is just different. It's still different today, but you know, there's more acceptance around hunting and that sort of stuff. Is it generally, would you say Newfoundland, like even St. John's or for example, like the big cities or the bigger cities, um, is it, is it okay? Like, or is there kind of an anti-hunting sentiment there too, an undercurrent of that, like there is in Vancouver, Victoria, for example, or Toronto? Yeah, no, in Newfoundland, um, I mean, there are certainly pockets of groups and people that are anti-hunting, but we're, we're an island and we are pretty, um, you know, food security it is a huge deal here. We need to be self-reliant and moose were introduced about, you know, 110 years ago at, to have a food source for uh, the people in Newfoundland in case, you know, everything goes off you know, off grid and stuff and stuff happens, we'll have our own real food source. So that's, it's been integral in most people's lives, I would say. And St. John's is a bigger center. I mean, 250,000 people there, but the bulk of them are people from the outports and the rural areas that have moved in there for work or whatever, but um, in their upbringing and, and in their, you know, scope of life, they they do know about the importance of, of hunting and of conservation and, um, so yeah, we don't really have that, that huge battle here, thankfully, like you guys do up there. Now I do own a store that sells seal products and, uh, like seal skin boots and hats and mitts. And, you know, that's been so misportrayed over the years. It's a really, it's a real lucrative business to lie about the seal hunt and to get people to donate money to these animal rights groups. So we do on occasion get protesters outside of our store and uh again that's just a small pocket of people um carrie always says he he loves it because it it, it, it pisses off the newfoundlanders and then they end up spending more money because they want to support a cause that they <laughs> i find it a bit more stressful because i'm usually like the face of it i'm the one out there doing the facebook live when they're outside the store to tell people to come down and show their support for it but i mean I'm, i've gotten a lot thicker skin here lately so that doesn't uh, doesn't bother me as much as it did like the first time it ever happened but no, we're, we're pretty fortunate that uh, the Newfoundland um, people are, are pretty, you know, pro hunting, pro conservation, pro sustainability and all that. Fantastic. Okay. I just want to touch briefly. So your nan was 91 and Aspen's seven. Did they, did she go on that moose hunt with your nan or was she part of that? Have they ever hunted together? And no, they haven't hunted together, but that would be a really okay. cool thing because it is her great grandmother. So to have that, uh, that big gap in the, in the generations would be super cool. Um, I don't know if Nan will have, you know, too many moose hunts in her hip. She broke her hip just this winter. So okay. I don't know if she'll be able to go out more, but maybe I could get them hoist Nan up in the bear stand or something like that. <laughs> they could sit together. That would be really cool. That's a good idea. Uh, when Nan got her moose, Aspen was in school that day. So unfortunately she wasn't part of it, but yeah, maybe something to strive for yeah, no, very cool. So, so obviously, this is deeply embedded in your family, and just it's it's a family tradition, I guess, if you will. So, um, you you started these, I guess, your South Africa hunt, and then I know you've gone on. I think you were on five hunts before you harvested your first sheep, but that that Yukon sheep that you talked about, your doll sheep hunt. Mm -hmm. So, how did that evolution come about? Did you go back to BC and hunt with Blair or um, on with Folding Mountain on a sheep hunt? Where did you go on your sheep hunt for that? So yeah, we went back to Blair's, but that was for mountain goat. And okay. I guess that was like my first real taste of, of what mountain hunting could be and, and what it is. And um, 
I, I kind of got bit there. Now at that time, I, I have a lot of like health conditions, circulatory problems, blood pressure issues and stuff. So I didn't have my whole system down in terms of how to approach a hunt in terms of my hiking speed and everything like that. So that was, that was rough, a real learning experience. Um, but once I learned how to tame that whole situation, then I, I started thinking, well, maybe a sheep hunt is, po- is possible. Carrie went on one of the Northwest Territories uh, one year in 2018. And he was like, Jen, it's really something that I think you could do. And I was like, man, based on how that mountain goat hunt was on my blood pressure and everything, I don't think it's possible. But he's like, nope you got your system sort of worked out more since then. And, uh, I, you know, there, there are some areas it doesn't need to be too gnarly. If that's what you're worried about, you can start off easy. And I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe we'll look into it. And then, so finally we bought another auction and, uh, and then just took, went on that one. It was up in the Yukon actually as well. Uh, that was in 2019. So that was my first sheep hunt was 2019 and I haven't really stopped much since then in, in terms of chasing the sheep. But again, that's been like a, a product of, of COVID and um, while it's a crappy situation for outfitters, for Canadians, it, it was a prime opportunity to do hunts maybe that they that we never would have been able to do. So 2019 was pre-COVID and I did I did the hunt in the Yukon, um, didn't end up seeing anything on that first one, anything legal. Um, so Carrie actually came back home and I stayed to do another hunt. The outfitter was great enough to let me stay. So I went with another guide to another area. And uh, that was my first like solo, kind of solo with a guide, right? Like Carrie not being there. Um, so we, we set off for 10 more days, my, the guide and I. And uh, unfortunately still didn't see anything legal. And then we came home for two weeks and then headed to Alberta to another uh, hunt for bighorn. We spent 24 days, I think then didn't see a legal ram there either. And, uh, and then came home. And at that point I was like, this, this isn't, you know, sustainable. It, we, you know, we, we do well at our businesses and stuff, but that's a whole other level of money for us. Um, I still won't tell our family <laughs> what these hunts cost. <laughs> they think we're crazy enough as it is. Um, and uh, but then when COVID hit and those prices did get reduced a little bit, it was a prime opportunity for us to to jump on it. And then uh, yeah, in twenty twenty, uh, we did two the one with Aspen, and then after that one, right away, I did another one with another guide there. So it, that one took a, just a couple of days, and then came home again and then went to Alberta and Carrie and I were both bighorn hunting that year as well. And then this year, 2021, we went back to Yukon. Um, we both hunted Fannin and then we headed off to BC from there and we got our stones. So I think we have four rams um, harvested in three, th- two and a half, three weeks. Then it was an intense uh, wow. <laughs> Hence, yeah, a series of events this past summer. It was amazing. So that that is awesome. So and, and there's two things that I, I take away from that. First of all, four rams and whatever, however many weeks or whatever it was. That that's insane. But uh, what I really want to talk about, and this is you know, a lot of our listeners are sheep hunters here, and some are first time or aspiring sheep hunters. So can you talk about the psyche around 24 days and no legal rams? Like that is uh, pardon my language, a mind fuck. Like that, that is 
that is discipline, right? And it's the hardest part of sheep hunting, I think, that that and while starving and freezing and a hundred other things. But but really the psychology of being out there for maybe two weeks or in your case, 24 days, bighorn hunting and not a legal ram. Mm -hmm. Talk about that for us. Yeah, so you, you need to go into any hunt expecting to not come away with filling your tag that that's hunting. Um, and that's, that's one of the special parts about it actually, because if you don't get one and you still want to go back, it means you're there for more than just filling the tag. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it, it's tough. Like whether you get one animal or not, the snow could be falling in August, like it was in, in Yukon, you could be freezing, you could be snowed in your tent for three days. And, um, you know, you're, you're bored and at the same time eager to get back out there because you know you only have a certain amount of days on these guided hunts anyway. And of course, if people have jobs, even if it's a self-guided hunt, you you have a certain, you know, set amount of time. So the, the mental game is always uh, bigger than the physical game as far as I'm concerned. And because um, I don't have much of a physical <laughs> game with all my issues, I know how to manage it. But um, yeah, the, the mind game is... is I would say 99% of the time, what makes people quit as opposed to the physical aspect of it. What I, for me, like the heartbreak, the grind, all that I can deal with. The big issue for me is, is the money because I'm paying a lot of money for these guided hunts that I don't have an opportunity to do otherwise because we don't have them in, in Newfoundland sheep. And you can't just enter a tag dry in Canada as a non-resident. So that's the part that, that really gets gets me is like it, i mean it's okay like if i don't get a ram that's a thing but i've just placed a, a huge amount of money on this and um that's what's hard for, for me to get over sometimes yeah it's interesting like you talk about that mental you know it is mental right because you talk about your own health and and i think you're under uh I, not giving yourself enough credit but um you know if we take it at face value you know um you know, it's, it's not always, it's, it's, it's the mind space. And, and the testament to that is when a seven-year-old girl can go on a successful sheep hunt. And to me, that's phenomenal. You guys to take Aspen in the mountains, like you did, um, it goes to show you that really with the will and the discipline and, and the commitment, anyone can truly do it. Um, I got a friend of mine from Idaho that's coming up here sheep hunting this year, and he's a uh, paraplegic. Um, actually it's not, it's my friend's friend, um, I, I, that I know him and he's going to come up here and he has a desire and a will to go sheep hunting and he's mm -hmm. going sheep hunting and he's in a wheelchair. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Right. Uh, but where there's a will, there's a way. And so that's a huge testament to, to you and, and Aspen as well to, to go on a successful sheep hunt and, and come home. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's life lessons in the mountains. You, you gain so much insight in yourself and in terms of how the world works even you're, you're away from everything in the world but you still you get grounded in terms of how things work when you get back home and um yeah it's 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 great life lessons for her she she was on cloud nine for months and months after that just she would she would turn to me and say i can't believe i did that mom and i'm like well i can't believe it either but you did and you did it really well and she yeah she was an absolute star um on, on that uh, on that hunt when you can get her in a good mindset and make sure her belly's full and she's rested that's, that's half the battle too because she can be a <laughs> she needs a snicker sometimes <laughs> you just described me jen <laughs> that's yeah. me on the hunt uh funny yeah. uh well that, that is so cool okay so um 
Let's talk a little bit. Now. Okay, actually, let's talk a little bit about the money. You mentioned that, and it's interesting. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine in Alaska, and he said that you know he thinks that sometimes sheep get shot on the mountains because of the money thing, right? That there's a bunch of you know, so, so there's animals that shouldn't be harvested out there that maybe they're underage, but people have this pressure. They put this pressure on themselves. They spent all this money, and they have to come home with something. They've bought all this gear, maybe bought a guided hunt. Um, and I think a lot of the times it's self-guided is the issue. Um, you know, you've spent this money, you've flown in, and you can't come back without a sheep because you got it. It's too hard not to do that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that you brought up that money thing. Obviously, you're much more disciplined. All your rams are gorgeous rams, so there's no there's no issue where you're shooting things mm -hmm. that you shouldn't be. But I, I just found that interesting that you raised that point. Yeah. Well, and again, when when there's a a limit to the money that you have at your disposal, it, it does matter. But at the end of the day when you're in it for the, the right reasons, there's, there's no, there's no other way, right? You, you, you go after the, the legal, the good specimens, the older ones, and you leave the others on the mountain. Like that's, that's just what it, what it comes down to come home empty handed or not. That, that's how it is. Yeah. I, I don't know what it'd be tougher doing a 10, 12 day hunt in the mountain for sheep. Cause I wasn't on a sheep hunt because I didn't see any is, is, is seeing a sheet that you know is close to legal and walking away from it yeah, or going 10 days without seeing a sheep. I don't know what, what would it be harder for me? So. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've been, I, I came and say in those, in those, there, in those initial three hunts, there were occasions where there were some that were borderline, but um, the, the guides and outfitters are, you know, laying their careers and their livelihoods on the line. So um, the, the struggle, I will say, though, is in Alberta, when you have a ram that's close to legal with curl, but you know it's like 10 or 11 or 12 years old, and you but you got to pass on it because the curl isn't there. And, you know, my background's in environmental biology and conservation, and I'm thinking, how's I don't know about that whole conservation model that someone is going to take out a five-year-old ram because it's near full curl but they leave mm -hmm. the 12 year old on the mountain because they can't quite get it there that that's a tough that's the tough thing that's the tough oh, part that i found i can imagine yeah we're eight eight years by a by annuli or full curl yeah uh, yeah and still i've i'm nowhere near experienced enough to go one two three four five six seven eight or that is in, unless it's definitely passed like my buddy He's a sheep society member, went on a, his first sheep hunt last, last August and literally hikes in off the highway and he shot a 12 year old, not broomed, like complete over the, the brow. It was huge. Kyle's seen pictures of it and I've, I've actually shared them to the, the Instagram for the sheep society. And it, that's the only way I would shoot a sheep on my own is when it is quite obviously past the, the, the curl requirement. Yeah, no, and that's, I think that's the, the way to go. Like for, for me, I, I'm not, even though I spent a lot of days on those mountains uh, and looking at sheep, I, I wouldn't want to take it upon myself at this point. Like a moose put one in front of me here in Newfoundland and I can do okay with it. But uh, yeah, the, the whole ram thing, I haven't had that much experience to feel confident enough to, to do that myself. So I, I have a lot of respect for, for the guys and the outfitters that, um, that do it well and, um, they put you onto the ones that they know will will qualify and, and will help with their their management of their areas and stuff. So it's yeah, it's a really cool it's a really cool process. 
It's definitely one of the hardest things to do, right? Like if you're going to age something, um, you know, it, it's trying to figure out an age on a sheep. It's just such a tough thing. And yeah, it, you're absolutely right. The guides that do this day in and day out and guide hundreds throughout their career and do that consistently hats off to them because it's difficult and and that they have to perform they've got a job to do they're getting paid to do this so they've got a performance criteria and that you know we talk about the pressure of money right like mm-hmm. if you're a guide and you're not killing sheep uh you're you're not going to last very long your job depends on that right so you got to get pretty good at it so yeah a huge testament to the guide outfitters that do a great job on it for sure Jim. and at 500 yards when the ram is on the foot i mean it's funny you go on those uh, the sheep groups on facebook and stuff and there's a picture of up close and you got r- people saying guessing the ages from 6 to 14 so you're thinking if you got a picture up close yeah. and people are that far off like how does it work when the ram is 600 yards away on its hoof walking around so yeah there's a lot of skill involved yeah lots of experience you got wind blowing. You've got uh, heat waves. You've got shitty optics. You got, <laughs> you, the you got yeah. Can I shoot? Can I shoot? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's been so many rams that I've seen walk away that ninety nine percent, but that one percent was going. I don't know. Oh, okay. and they live in your mind. You're like, oh, was it? I would love to know, but you know, you'll never yeah. know. I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What always the right thing to do if you're not sure. So awesome. So okay, let's talk about we've talked about your unsuccessful sheep hunts a little bit. I want to talk about uh, let's talk about your dull sheep hunt, your first sheep that you harvested. Tell us about that experience. We talked a little we we got into it. So we talked about Aspen. We talked about the hike in um, and you were with North Curl Outfitters in Yukon with Mac, um, let Mac Watson. Let's talk about let's talk about the hunt. What was it like? Yeah, it was. um it was crazy because I couldn't only focus on the hunt because I had Aspen there too. So I was trying to balance the whole mom thing versus, and then also trying to film a show. So I'm, I'm trying to balance the mom thing, the trying to get the shots that we need for the show and then do the sheep hunt portion. So uh, there were, there were some Rams in various pockets that we would, you know, go, go and check out and stuff. And sometimes we were on them and they were bunched up like, you couldn't take an ethical shot because they were, they were too bunched up. So we had to let some pass, let some walk. Um, a big one too. It was a beautiful one. I think that one haunts carry a little bit, uh, that he, uh, he had to let that happen, but that's how it is. And, um, yeah, we spent, we spent 14 days up there. We had Mac and Leona come in on the, uh, their little aircraft, um, the, and the, the super cub, I guess, and come in and uh, do an airdrop. So Aspen got to see that firsthand. The plane came right by, dropped off a, a pack of supplies. And Leona was so good. She put in a coloring book and everything for her. So I was kind of like, now I need to pack that off the mountain when we go. But it helped Aspen <laughs> a lot in the, in the tent. We set up hair salons in the in the tent we set up a convenience store for any hikers that were going to pass by she didn't make a profit i will say <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah you know trying to balance the hunting aspect with with the mom and the potentially bored kid on the on the miserable days and so after the 14 days up there we actually didn't get a ram um, we didn't get a clean shot on on the legal ones that were there they were bunched up again so we backtracked back down to the lake where aspen and carrie stayed for a few days to go fishing while i took off again to a different area with another guide and um yeah we uh, we backpacked up this huge mountain it took us i don't know three hours straight up and 
it was pouring down rain by the time we got there. So by the time we set up tent, we were, everything was drenched. So we, we got in the tent and then the next morning we climbed up a little bit higher over another ridge and within 10 minutes of popping over that ridge, we spotted um, a band of, I don't know, maybe it was like 13 or 14 at 200 yards. So we hunkered down a little bit and they were just kind of grazing around. That was more of a plateau-y type area than the place we had come from, which was a lot of um, gnarly peaks and stuff. But uh, yeah, we, we watched them for a bit and you know, if I could go back to moments in, in the hunt, that's where I would just love to be planking my ass right there on that hill, just watching them. And they don't know you're there and they're just going about their business. You get to see how they live and how they interact with one another with no outside influence. And yeah, it was just so great. So there was one um, that was a, a big, wide flaring ram. So he wasn't there on curl, but um, Josh, who was my guide, was you know taking his time to make sure the age was there and for which ones. And just as he was like, "Yeah, Jen, that one's like nine and a half. He's he's good to go." They were at eighty yards, and they they didn't wind us, but they knew something was up, so they they took off. And I was like, "No, this is like it was like my fifth sheep hunt at that point, and it was my the first legal ram really I had ever uh, laid eyes on that I was in a position to potentially shoot. So I was heartbroken for a bit. They 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 went around the base of one um, peak that was there, so we kind of headed up around the other way. And when we got up, we looked down and we saw two out of the fourteen, and one of them was that ram. So. We made a play on it and it was like, it was about three, three different stocks, I would say, from the time we spotted them um, that second time to when I actually got in place to, to take a shot. Again, he, he didn't, he didn't wind us. I don't even think he saw anything, but he sensed, you know, he was still probably rattled from the time before. And then when I uh, finally got set up, it was, I think at like 230 yards and um, I had gone to Gunworks Long Range University. So I would say before that, like 250 yards would have been like a really nerve wracking shot for me in terms of wondering if I would even hit the target. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was a piece of cake then. So it was, I was like, this is going to happen. I can't believe it. And, and it did. And then to know Aspen was back at the, at the uh, Lake with Carrie and that I was going to be able to take it back to her was really, really cool. So I sent, I sent them a, an in-reach message saying that I got a ram and um, I, the video was on that episode. I think Aspen was getting ready for bed. She's in her underwear and Carrie's like, mom got a ram. She's like, what? Oh my gosh. And uh, she spit out her toothpaste and did a happy dance. And I, I didn't know that was happening at the time. Of course I was up in the mountains, but I could only imagine what was happening back at that, uh, at that camp. So it was, it was really cool to see the footage after to see exactly how it went down once I sent that message. Well, Jen, that, that I just cracked up because um, Carrie shows the inReach and it says "ram down" and he goes "WTF" and then it cuts to Aspen. She goes "What the?" And I was like, <laughs> "I'm like, like father, like daughter." I just was cracking up when I, I seen that. It was so funny. Oh, she's yeah. a character. Classic. So then that that was like, I mean, it got dark really late there, and I don't, I'd say around eleven thirty at that point. But I had I had taken the ram just pretty close to when the darkness was setting in, so we had a uh, a pack out back to our tent, 
that lasted probably until three or four o'clock in the morning, I would say in the pitch black. And uh, in Newfoundland, we don't have wolves here, but at one point when we were getting near the tent, the, the wolves that were there were so loud and we were on a screen and the way it was like the sound was bouncing off the, the rocks in the screen. It felt like they were underneath my feet and it was such an eerie feeling. I had, you know, I had meat on my back and there were wolves all around and it was, they were so loud, like everything was vibrating. And that was, that was one of the moments that I remember vividly from, from that pack out, um, that portion of the pack out anyway. So we got back to the tent and I was like, uh, Josh, like, is it okay if we stay in this tent? We've got meat and everything here. And, um, he's like, yeah, it should, it should be okay. I mean, it was only daylight in two hours anyway. So it was, it was okay. And then the next day we, made our way out. It was so slippery and the rocks were all full of lichen and it was, it was treacherous and we got in a little bit of a pickle, but it all, you know, adds to the experience and how, how I remember it. And it was, yeah, it was pretty sweet. I gotta say. That's uh that's awesome. So the wild sheep foundation has a less than one club and it's the only club you want to get kicked out of. So you're, you got kicked out on that hunt and, uh, and just really cool. I, I just going to segue briefly that, um, we actually have a doll sheep hunt that we're selling tickets on now with Mac as well. So, um, so this is the hunt that you're going to go on. I'm not sure if it's the same exact same area that you'd be hunting, but uh, pretty cool opportunity and, and just great. And it was great seeing that film that you did because uh, there was so many beautiful rams. It's like, to me, I, I love seeing stone sheep, but seeing doll sheep in, in their natural habitat, just those white spots is just such a, it's such a romantic experience. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty special. And I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, Mac and Leona at North Curl, they're fantastic. We, we went back again with them this past summer uh, where we went to, to, to hunt for Fannin. And um, yeah, their, their little girl, uh, Ellie, uh, Aspen met her the first year she was up there. And Ellie was still a baby, but Aspen really took to her. And now Ellie's a little bit older. She's, I think, two or three now. Um, they have another little boy. And yeah, I highly recommend them. Real, you know, great family operation. Um, and they, they know their area as well and they get a really great crew. So that's that's awesome that uh, that what you're doing is is for a hunt with them. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. And yeah, the great, great conservation story supporting our conservation efforts here in BC. So, okay, cool. So you, you wrap that hunt up and then um, is it Bighorn that same year? Like, did you shoot your ram that same year? Yes. Yes. So we, we, we did that one for the, the doll sheep. I'm, I'm trying to think since COVID, you know, came in <laughs> one year so, from the next, holy, but yeah, 2020. Yeah. We did that one and then came home for a few weeks and then went back to Alberta and on that hunt, Carrie and I both had uh, bighorn tags. So yeah, that was, we went back there with Scott Carter of Carter outfitting and um yeah, we did an episode on that one too. It was uh, it was really cool that you'd have the um, the wagon ride in. So I I'm not a real big horse person. I always joke and say I'd rather ride a whale than ride a horse. <laughs> I I just have really bad luck with them. They you know they're all good horses everywhere you go. Hunter horses are always like the cream of the crop. But if you stick your head in in a bee's nest, you're gonna react right. Like or if or if, a, if the horse in front of you rears up and lands on your head, you're going to react. So that those things always happen to me. 
Um, so to be on the wagon on the horse was a real treat instead of actually riding horseback. And then uh, we got in there and uh, got set up with a really great crew. Jimmy and, and Dawson were our guides there. And um, Scott had had an accident. He got thrown off a horse actually right before and he ended up in hospital with like a punctured lung and spleen and broken ribs and everything. So he wasn't right in there at that, uh, at that beginning of the hunt, but we were well taken care of. And we sat on a mountain for, I think it was like six or seven days watching a band of rams. Just couldn't make a play on them. They were in a, a tough spot, really timbered up. So it was just a waiting game at that point. And, you know, the, the conversation was always like, do we back out of it and maybe look elsewhere? Cause we're spending a lot of time here. And I'm like, Man, I've been 60 days on <laughs> mountains back-to-back hunts and not seen a legal ram. So to see like at least five, six legal rams in here and to back out of it, no, it's not going to fly with me. So I will plank my ass here as long as I need to. As long as Scott will have us here, I'll sit here and wait. And then, yeah, eventually they did move and we were able to descend down into the creek and then make our way back up the other side. And we, uh, we ended up getting our rams on two separate stocks on the same day. It was, uh, I, I still can't process it really how, how it all went down, but it was pretty cool. Didn't Carrie both times have first shooting and, and somehow you got a ram and he didn't? <laughs> just, just saying, just, just saying. But he, he kind of blew his stock or whatever. He got winded or whatever. So yeah, fair enough. That, yeah. That was the time when they, they did kind of clump together. Um, um, once they got up on the top, but yeah, th- that's true. I I think he was he was gonna shoot first both times, but I yes, I, I weaseled my way in there. <laughs> that's awesome. So so talk about that. So th- there's the two experiences, right? Your doll sheep hunt, and then and they were quite different, right? You were on horseback, um, and it was quite a bit different. Was there one you preferred over the other? What was I know that your first ram always has something special about it. I I think, but. Um, you know, what was the experience compared to the two? Like um, Between those two, like they, they were so night and day because the first one, Aspen was there for the most of it. Um, so that was really cool. And then the first Ram, like you say, you, you'll never forget. Well, you'll never forget any Ram, I don't think. But your first one is certainly something special, especially when you work so hard and so long to, to achieve it. Um, but then the second one, uh, for the big horns, um, it was just, it was really neat that we were both carrying, I was hunting at the same time really. Cause on the, um, on the doll, we weren't necessarily hunting at the same time because one of us was always trailing back a few yards, taking care of Aspen and stuff. So it was never kind of in our thought process that, um, we would be able to get them both at the same time. But with the, uh, the big horn hunts, uh, it was always a possibility like how, how are we going to make it happen and then just the sitting there it's it's part of like the mental game that you know we were talking about you you drive yourself silly going through scenarios in your head and saying like am i crazy to be doing this and well yeah you are crazy to be doing it when you think about it but there's lots of different types of crazy in this world and that's probably my favorite type of crazy so i'll take that in today and uh, yeah I, I i don't know it was just uh you for the first one um it was kind of like there's the ram um after you know a bunch of days there's the ram and it it did take a little bit of stocking to to find him and finally get on him but this one it's almost like 
for the bighorns. We were sitting watching them for a week. You you knew each ram. You knew you had names for them all by the end of it. You knew Jerry was going to go root up this guy because he was laying down and Jerry didn't like it when <laughs> when Juicy laid down. So he'd root him up and you, you kind of had them pegged. You, you almost in a weird way, built a relationship with them. So it was it was neat to know more about the rams through that week and know more about the people that you were hunting with too because you, you run out of things to talk about and to, you know, um, and to uh, experience with one another after so long. So sometimes you're just there you know, sound asleep next to this person that you just met, you know, a couple days ago. Um, there was one time I... Because it was it was the two guides and it was Carrie and it was a, a camera guy we brought Jake and at one point it was it was really foggy out and I looked around and everyone was asleep except me I was just sitting there so I took <laughs> a funny video of six of them or, or five of them sound sound asleep around me I was like imagine now a ram walked up to us and I just fired at it or something they, they jumped up so fast but uh, yeah totally totally different experiences and uh, but. But wonderful. I mean, no two hunts are the same anyway, but uh, it, it was a great way to really start off my success for sheep hunting. So I, I think for the sheep hunters out there, and, and there's a great takeaway from your story here on your Alberta bighorn hunt, you sat there for six days. And that's truly, um, you know, that's one thing you have to have that patience as a sheep hunter, right? And that's a classic example. You know, you had an experienced guide. He knew, and maybe you guys did too. I'm not trying to demean what you guys knew, but no. there's a lot of young sheep hunters or new sheep hunters that would go, we have to get on the sheep. And you sat there for six days and that's a, and that's a, a dilemma, right? As a sheep hunter, you're like, well, if they're sitting, but you can, like you have to be patient and you have to wait it out. There's times where they're like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to go because of something. But if there's nothing pressing them there and there's feed and there, you have to wait and you have to wait for the opportunity and you have to have that patience. So that, I think that's a great takeaway for anyone that's maybe a new sheep hunter or considering sheep hunters. Patience is a virtue when it comes to sheep hunting. I think it's huge. Yeah. So I know so many people would have busted up over the side of that mountain. Um, but it's kind of like, it's a game of chess, right? You, you need to plan your next move. And, let's say you did get up there successfully without them winding you or seeing you there's there's no shooting lane larger longer than 50 yards so what's the sense in that like if you and, and so many eyes and so many noses and ears it, it's just it's just not worth it i mean even if you were even if you were bow hunting and needed to get into that closer range when you're over there you're blind you don't you're into it you're in the minefield and you don't know who's around you and um, how they've moved around. So yeah, you, you need to wait, you need to wait until they get into a better position and, and then make your move then. And if, I mean, if you bust it, um, at least you, you can look back and say, well, if I had gone earlier, I probably would have done the same thing. Or even if I didn't bust them, I'd get in there and I wouldn't even know where they were. So patience is, is key. You're so right. Awesome. Cool. So successful Bighorn. So uh, did you get a stone? as well have you yeah, tell me yeah. About that. so uh this last summer in 2021 we went back with mac and leona to go fannin hunting and so carrie and i both got uh, our fannins with them and then we went to uh to bc and with uh, craig kisselback at terminus and ended up um going stone sheep hunting there so got one there and had had an awesome time that one was uh horseback so I was you know, back on my back on the horses again, but it was good. I had no incidents this time, thankfully. 
And uh, yeah, the, the scenery there, the people, the setup he has is just incredible. And um, there, there were two, two rams when we got to one place, we were sitting on the mountain. It was, it was pretty cold. And then there was one at, uh, I think he started at like 950 yards. So he was getting, you know, ever closer, kind of grazing just along the hillside, coming a bit closer to us. And at one point it, he got to like 550 and it, it didn't look like there was any possibility of him coming closer. And there was no possibility of us getting closer, just the way the terrain was. It was just an impossible situation. So at that point I, I had to decide like, you know, we'd been watching them all day. Do I, do I go for it? And, you know, when sometimes people are like, well, five, five fifty, and, and even me, I'm like, I, the closer, I, I, even though I can shoot a long distance, I always prefer to be closer, closer, the better. It's never my intention to take an animal at long range for some people it is, but for me, it, it isn't. I just like to minimize the room for error and make sure the target in your reticle is as big as it can be. Um, and, and also the closer you get, the cooler the experiences you have in terms of interaction with the animal and how things play out. It's, it's a bit trickier sometimes. So, um, anyway, it was, it ended up being at like five thirty-five, And so there were two guides there and Carrie and they were kind of like, well, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm like, well, let me just get set up and, and I'll see like if, if I feel comfortable in the setup position that I have, then, and if my ballistics are on, like nothing got knocked, which you don't know until you actually fire, which is the, the tough part about it. But I'm like, if I can, you know, get a good setup and, and I'm on them, then yeah, I can certainly, uh, I'd be happy to try it. So I got on them and I wasn't moving a millimeter. So I'm like, yeah, if my ballistics are on, then dead ram right here. So they're like, okay, well, we'll yeah, do it. And I'm like, yeah, he's beautiful. He was gorgeous ram. So, uh, so I set up and, and got him down and it was, it was pretty cool. It was like, we, we all celebrated on the mountain, but then it was like, well, we gotta, we, we gotta get to him and we gotta, you know, get him back. So then your mind switches to, okay, he's down, you're excited, but you really gotta, it was really steep and, and gnarly terrain. So the focus was get there and try to get back to the horses. So that was probably like four or five hours later by the time we got back and, my knees were shaking because the terrain was so steep. Even like trying to um, trying to process the animal, one person had to hold him up because he was falling over. I think for, from the time we started like taking pictures to the time we had him cleaned, he had slid, I think, 35, 40 yards um, down the mountain because we looked and we were like, wow, we started all the way up there. It was just super steep. Um, and then I, you know, I try to carry or I do carry as much as I can. So I had the ram, um, the cape and the head and the horns on my back. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really treacherous and crazy and scary. And sometimes I'm thinking, oh, if Aspen knew what we were doing right now, I don't think about my mom scolding me. I think about Aspen scolding me, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was when we finally got back to the horses, it was quite a, quite a relief and, and a lot of fun, but yeah, the, the stone sheep is such a magnificent animal, you know, the grays and the beautiful horns that they have and the, even the terrain they live in. Um, they're, they're pretty special creatures wild sheep are so cool. They're, they're amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so you hunted with Craig, that's such a beautiful area. Did you fly into his main lodge there? We did. It was like, what that's is ridiculous. This? What is this yeah. thing? It's almost like you're, it's like a mirage or something. It can't be real. 
No. I, I had the opportunity to do a wolf hunt there a year or two ago in the wintertime. And I, it just, you felt, you feel like you, you're a king, right? Like a, it's so opulent and so beautiful and it's in the middle of nowhere with, it's just, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's, your mind can't. You're, you're right. You're flying over and it appears all of a sudden and you're like, what even is this? And yeah, it's what a, what a spot he has. And then, and then you go on from there. So you don't, you're not based there, but it's, it's great to know when you're freezing out on the mountain that eventually you're going to get back to there. And uh, yeah, they've got a really great operation. Well, it's phenomenal. You look out your window and there's mountain goats right there. Like literally you're looking out the window at mountain yes. goats. It's phenomenal. That's so, true. It's, yeah. so that's yeah. where you went wolf hunting. I remember that. It was like last year. Yeah, wasn't it? It's yeah. It was last winter and just phenomenal. Yeah. Craig's such a great guy and terminus is a great outfit. Uh, so yeah, it's really cool. That you hunted stone sheep there. It's such an iconic area, you know, that's tied to, you know, like a lot of Jack O'Connor stories is right in that area. Right. It's just such a cool part of the world. And yeah, right on the river. Beautiful. So cool. So, all right. So we talk about Fanaz, four North American wild sheep. You got the three. What, <laughs> where, where are you going for your desert bighorn? Oh my gosh. I don't know. It depends on which one I win. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my you first sheep. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I mean, I would, that's, that's obviously the dream, but at this point, it's not something that we can undertake right now um, or maybe the foreseeable future unless something crazy and wild. I mean, crazier things have happened, I will say that, but maybe it's a more long-term goal. I've had people contact me, you know, okay. kind of planting the seed like, so Jen, you have this one left and, you know, maybe we can um, get you down here. And I'm like, well, there's still like a cost associated with it, of course. So I need to you know, calculate what we've done already and kind of plan out when I can, you know, take the leap. It's, and again, I can't, my, my family cannot process the amount of money that these, that's involved with these things. So I think my best bet is to, is to buy tickets. <laughs> cool. So that, that aside though, you've got, so Carrie's obviously a sheep hunter. He's really passionate and, and he was in line for on both these hunts to, and he was successful with his bighorn, obviously. But what's, but then the aspen too, right? So who's next? Who kills the next sheep in the family? Right, that's the thing. So it, it's like Carrie always says, even though he didn't, he didn't teach me how to hunt. He said, never, never teach your wife or bring your wife golfing or hunting because it'll cost twice as much and she'll get better than you at both of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, then the daughter comes in. So I don't know. Yeah, like I, I have a, I have a hunt, you know, paid for for Alaska. So maybe there's an opportunity for Aspen to kind of piggyback on that. Um, and that's if she's interested, right? Like I haven't had her out shooting in the last year or so. Um, she doesn't, she does enjoy it when she's at it, or she did. But uh, we just haven't. The range is like. I always, I'm always jealous of the folks like in the States that can just kind of set up the range anywhere they want. Right <laughs> here in Newfoundland anyway, you can't do that. So the nearest range is like an hour, an hour's drive away. Um, so she hasn't been at that as much as I would like, but now in the next, in the next few months, once the snow goes now, I think we'll get back at it again. And if she is interested in it, she might very well be the next person to get a ram in our family. So what does 22 hold? So you've, you've, you've had an epic 
19 and 20 and 21. And now where do you go from here? What's uh, anything on the agenda or is it just uh, just see how it goes? Yeah, like we'll, we'll see how it goes. We've made a lot of great friends um, in, in the hunting world. So even, you know, just to pop back to any of those places to either hunt ourselves or maybe share it on the stories that are coming in from hunters coming back to the lodge. Like sometimes for me, you just hearing other people's stories is enough for me. Although I love being out at it. Like I don't need to be the one pulling the trigger. Um, we, I, I'll put in for my moose and my black bear again this year here in Newfoundland. And uh, other than that though, like nothing really booked. It's kind of a weird feeling because it's the first year since 2017 that we don't have something actually booked for, for the year. Um, I'm in school right now, also um, finishing up my environmental biology degree. So I, I kind of got to finish that off. And then I've got a bunch of businesses and I'm on town council now. So that's a big priority of mine. So it's kind of like I had my intense hunting season the past two years. And this year might be just a year to catch up on all the other stuff that I let go for a few years and then really get back at it again. But um I mean, here in Newfoundland, the, the moose and the, the black bear, and I won't qualify for a caribou tag because there's like a four or five year um, process to draw one of those. But uh, I'll, I'll get out at it either for myself or with someone else and, um, and take it from there and maybe get Aspen uh, into it more of it this year. So uh, that's, that'll be the main thing, I guess. I want to hear about, I want to hear about the polar bear. Ah, the polar bear. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's like exactly two years ago now that I got the the polar bear. So that one that one came with, I, I understandably I guess a, a lot of flack for the misinformation that mm -hmm. that is out there about them. But what a crazy cool experience! Cra crazy cool, crazy friggin' cold <laughs> experience that was. It was in in February in Northwest Territories and minus like 60 and I have like my part of my circulatory and heart stuff is that my fingers and toes go numb in any bit of cold I'm in the grocery aisle and my fingers are blue and yellow and no blood so um yeah to be up there in around the um the indigenous population up there was was just other uh, out of this world I, I can't even explain it um to go out there in those conditions and then with animals like like the polar bear and the muskox it, it was it was something else so we went out there with the the dog team and um ended up after a couple of days um seeing a, a bunch of mothers and cubs and then some smaller males and then eventually i was able to get mine and um that we brought it back to the community and we ate the the polar bear feet with some elders in the community and they like had a big celebration. It was like, cause a lot of times some of the hunters don't really, um, maybe that they don't value that cultural experience, but maybe they feel like they can't relate to it or maybe they don't want to like impose. But I've, when the elders invited us, then I thought it was a really cool thing to, to take them up on. So we went to their house and they prepared the feet. And that's, that's typically the main part, the main delicacy that they eat. And, um, yeah, the whole cultural environmental um, experience was one of the craziest experiences of my life. It's sorry, Steve. I didn't mean to drop. Uh, we we were talking about how she likes to close the distance on all of her animals. How far away? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the polar bear. The polar bear was like 
150 yards, I think. Yeah. That's about, yeah. about what I took my grizzly at. It's, it's something different than a black bear. It's just, it, it, it is. It is. Yeah. And then when you get up to it, it's, it's huge and you're, you can't even process it. Um, so I will just say um, that for, for the polar bear hunt, I mean, out, out in the world, it, it's kind of, people say that polar bears are, you know, on the verge of extinction and they're endangered and stuff. But um, in Canada, especially and in many areas and actually worldwide, polar bear numbers are increasing. Um, certain areas they're decreasing, but it's kind of like with um, like cougar, mountain lion. Um, there are certain areas where there aren't many, but there are others where they're actually so abundant you can take two in a year. So the kind of same thing goes with polar bear and many studies have been done and the the consensus among the scientific community is that the polar bear hunt in Canada is non-detrimental to the species. And um, they do great scientific research. We had a whole list of specimens we had to collect with the, the harvest of the polar bear and submit it to the researchers. And I mean, it's the type of, you know, um, metrics and, and you know, items and specimens that you can only get once the animal is no longer alive. Um, so it, it really helps, um, you know, build their case for whether it should continue or potentially end depending on the state of the, the population. So it was, it was great. And to see the community celebrate and um, they're, I mean, they're able to take a, a certain number and then they can sell the hunts to people that come in or they can use it themselves. But um, they, uh, they really value people coming in. And then on top of it, when the people value, the visitors value their culture and the experience that that provides it, it just adds to it for them. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, I never dreamed that that would ever happen in my life, but it, but it did. And, and I'm so grateful for it. Well, the one cool thing that I appreciate that you do, Jen, is that you're a hunter, um, and a consumptive user, but you also, uh, speak the talk and you educate people about about polar bears uh, another one is you know you talk about your business with seals and stuff but also educating people about seals the seal hunt of what's portrayed by PETA and and the uh, and their supporters is not the reality of the situation and I love that you communicate that and you do a good job of it oh thanks yeah well I mean it's really important to me I I um I value sustainable use and population dynamics and management and stuff. And uh, I would never want to be involved in a hunter in an effort that was detrimental to, to a species or to the population. So for the seal hunt, um, a lot of the misinformation out there portrays to their abundance. So a lot of people think that they're um, endangered where in reality off the coast of Newfoundland, there's between 10, seven to 10 million harp seals. And, um, so they're nowhere near in danger. It's the highest level like ever recorded. And um, the, the, there's the misinformation about the white coat babies being hunted, but that white coat hunt has been banned since 1987, but the images are still used because uh, they, like I said, they earlier, they it's a great fundraising campaign for these anti hunting groups. So when they show the baby white coat seal, that's what gets people to donate their money. It's on the, the backs of the people that rely on that resource um, and sustainable use of that resource, but uh, they don't care. Their, their morals are askew, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much to it. The products are 
biodegradable fur is a biodegradable renewable resource it's in from seal it's abundant and it's free range so as an environmentalist and um you know and someone who who values the the environment and the animals to me sustainable use of abundant renewable resources is the only way we'll be able to continue as a species like there's nothing else you, you can deplete the, re- the non-renewables and then you're left with nothing and then if you deplete the renewables then you're left with nothing but if you manage the renewables in a sustainable way it'll be there forever which is uh, how we ended up here because our ancestors use those things in a sustainable way so um, I mean a lot of the anti-groups like to say it's, you know, sustainability is like a cat, a catchphrase or a greenwashing thing, but however you, you call it, that is literally the only way we can continue is if we do use those renewables in a way that keeps them there for the future. So, so that's why, uh, seal clothing and the seal hunt and free range food and all those things are important to me. Very cool. Well, you know, I appreciate the messaging around that. So, so what's in the future for you? Like, so you are, you're taking environmental biology. You talked about the conservation aspect as well through your studies. Um, but you're a, a mom, you're a community advocate, you're busy there. You have a business. What, what does the future hold for you? Where's Jen five years from now? Obviously steeped in family and hunting and all that stuff, but what, what else? Oh, just all that good stuff. You know, I don't, uh, I'm finishing my degree, but not in hopes of getting a, a job or anything anywhere. You know, we've got a lot on the go with our businesses and our accommodations and stuff that we operate. Just doing more of this, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm 38 and I feel I'm at a place where, you know, if I, when I was 15 or 16, if I had a dream that I would reach a point in my life where I am now, I might be like 70, but I'm, I'm able to do it. And I'm here at 38. So I'm just, you know, taking it day by day, enjoying what I've done. And, you know, people are thinking like, you know, get, get bigger, faster, stronger, do more, but really where I am, I'm just grateful for everything that I've been able to do. And, um, if, if I can help other people get the encouragement to go do it themselves and do things that they've had on their list. They, they didn't think they could ever do, but really it's attainable. If I can be that for someone, then I'm that's man, that's gravy, right? Like I, I, it's, it's all awesome to me. So yeah, in five years, I'm hopefully I'll just be doing the same thing. (laughs) That's awesome. What a great message, Jen. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for all you do and just the, the great work you're doing, the message you're sharing and doing all the right stuff. And it's just, you're an inspiration for, for someone like me and, and just really enjoy uh, listening to your messaging. And, and thank you. Oh, well, thank you. You're too kind, um, but it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on.